Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. And join me for our weekly look at this Sunday's Gospel reading. We've got Peggy Stanton. Peggy is the author from the White House to the White Cross. She's a dame of the Order of Malta and was ABC News' first female Washington correspondent. She's uh, hosted many programs for us at Ave Maria Radio, including the Malta Minute with the Catechism. And uh, her newest book, by the way, is taken from that series. It's called The Order of Malta, Minutes with the Catechism. Peggy, nice to have you here. How's uh, the weather? Uh, (laughs) It's beautiful here. (laughs) But actually, uh, we're in North Florida. Amelia Island is uh, North Florida. So we do not have uh, traditional um, hot, hot You're not the tropics. Uh, No, no. It's only about 66 degrees, which is not a whole lot warmer than what you've got. I I know. We're having... Unseasonably warm weather right now, yeah, for for Michigan. <laughs> of course, just just when I choose to escape, yes. it gets warmer. <laughs> well, we're going to take a look at this Sunday's Gospel reading. It's Ma- uh, Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 10, and I'll read them, and then we'll get to your reflections on them. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say. They were so terrified. Then a cloud came, casting a shadow over them, and from the cloud came a voice. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone with them. As they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone, except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. That's some uh, Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 10. Well, another uh, remarkable passage of Scripture here, and you can see the apostles themselves trying to figure out what's going on in their experience. Uh, You can imagine. Yeah. (laughs) You suddenly see... This person you've been traveling with, who's in ordinary human form, is suddenly uh, transformed into this glorious, brilliant light, and, you know, his face is like the sun, and his clothes are brilliant white. You can imagine yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what they must have felt, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, and you've got, you've got Moses and Elijah there, the, the standing for how the law know that, and the prophets. How did they know that, Good question. Uh, I always I don't know. wondered, how did they know they didn't wear name tags? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, they didn't. Uh, there were characteristics, perhaps, uh, you know, Moses is the law keeper, uh, the law giver, so right. perhaps he's carrying tablets. Um, Elijah had gone to heaven in a chariot, maybe... Uh, you know, he's, he was still in his chair. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know. 
but well, again, from what 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 you hear from people who have had mystical experiences of one sort or another, sometimes um, things are just realized. Uh, yeah, infused. Knowledge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, hmm. that may be what, well, you what figure, happened here. Yeah, that Jesus could have told them later, but it, it indicates in the reading they knew instantly. I mean, they knew it before he told them, I think. He didn't uh, doesn't say that when they showed up that our Lord uh, identified them, but, um, I mean, that's possible. Uh, but um, he could have told them later on, but the Scripture indicates they knew right away. Yeah, and I, you know, something else that might play into this, um, and that is that both Elijah uh, and Moses, well, Elijah ascended to heaven, or at least in some way was taken to heaven in a whirlwind. And even Mm -hmm. though Moses had died, the Jewish tradition of the time held that he too was taken up to heaven. So, ah. you know, maybe mm. maybe they're distinct in the spiritual imagination of the Jewish people there in first century Palestine. And so when you see these two, um, you know, they're, they're not, they're not uh, merely part of a grand assembly. Uh, they're two exceptional figures in the history mm-hmm. of Israel and both ha- both are uh, both have been attributed uh, to heaven so mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and i you know you well, both, and, and you you also have a, with Moses and Elijah both they encountered god on sinai so uh, right right yep um but of course a lot of uh this gospel reflection uh, from the Catechism, which we're using a lot of, um, it, it talks about Simon Peter, and, and very appropriate for the day that uh, we're we're yeah. broadcasting. And that is, uh, as you know, as and talked about earlier, it's the feast of ex cathedra, yeah. the chair of Peter, right? Yes, yes it is. Yeah. And um, uh, so, uh, paragraph five fifty two in the Catechism starts out: Simon Peter holds the first place in the College of the Twelve. Jesus entrusted a unique mission to him. Through a revelation from the Father, Peter had confessed, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Our Lord then declared to him, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Christ, the living stone, thus assures his church, built on Peter, of victory over the powers of death. Because of the faith, he confessed, Peter will remain the unshakable rock of the church. His mission will be to keep this faith from every lapse and to strengthen his brothers in it. And then uh, paragraph 554 talks about a foretaste of the kingdom is the transfiguration. Uh, From the day Peter confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Master began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things 
and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Peter, of course, scorns this prediction, and nor do the other apostles understand it any better than he did. In this context, the mysterious episode of Jesus' transfiguration takes place on a high mountain, and uh, it just, just recounts what we just talked about. Um, in paragraph 555, uh, it goes on to say, For a moment, Jesus discloses his divine glory, confirming Peter's confession. He also reveals that he will have to go by way of the cross at Jerusalem in order to enter into his glory. Moses and Elijah had seen God's glory, as you said, Al, on the mountain. Uh, Moses the law and Elijah the prophet had announced the Messiah's suffering. And Christ's passion is the will of the Father. The Son acts as God's servant. The cloud indicates the presence of the Holy Spirit. So the whole Trinity appeared, the Father in the voice, the sun in the man, the spirit in the shining mm. cloud. Yes, very good. I don't think we we focus on that, no. right? No, that's very good. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Um, and then the Byzantine uh, liturgy reflects on this moment this way. It says, you were transfigured on the mountain, and your disciples, as much as they were capable of it, beheld your glory, O Christ our God, so that when they should see you crucified, they would understand that your passion was voluntary and proclaimed to the world that you truly are the splendor of the Father. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, paragraph 556 in the Catechism says that on the threshold of the public life, of Jesus' public life, we have the baptism. On the threshold of the Passover, we have the transfiguration, which is something I hadn't uh, focused on, uh, you know, before uh, studying this today. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus' baptism proclaimed the mystery of the first regeneration, namely our baptism. The transfiguration is the sacrament of the second regeneration, our own resurrection. From now on, we share in the Lord's resurrection from the through the Spirit, who acts in the sacraments of the body of Christ. The transfiguration gives us a foretaste of Christ's glorious coming, when he will change our lowly body to be like his glorious body. But it also recalls that it is through many persecutions that we must enter the kingdom of God. Uh, and this St. Augustine uh, spoke this in a sermon. He said, Peter did not yet understand this when he wanted to remain with Christ on the mountain. <clears throat> it has been reserved for you, Peter, but for after death. For now, Jesus says, go down to toil on earth, to serve on earth, to be scorned and crucified on earth. Life goes down to be killed. Bread goes down to suffer hunger. The way goes down to be exhausted on his journey 
the spring goes down to suffer thirst, and you refuse to suffer. That's mm. from again from Saint Augustine. <clears throat> so uh, I, they're certainly bringing home, isn't it? <laughs> we have a lot of crosses to go through before we get a glorious body, if we get it. Yeah, the transfiguration does bring us face to face with this uh, remarkable work of regeneration. Um, mm-hmm. Hold there, Peggy. I hear the music. We're going to take a break, and we'll pick up on the other side. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me is Peggy Stanton. We are looking at this Sunday's Gospel reading, which is uh, from the Gospel of Mark, uh, verse, uh, chapter 9, verses 2 to 10. It is the well-known passage uh, of the Transfiguration. And uh, Peggy, uh, before the break, we were talking about the um, St. Augustine discussing uh the significance of uh, resurrection and the tra- well, excuse me, transfiguration, and I, I'm just curious that the gospel reading itself. I'm curious if if you got got into this at all, but the the apostles say at the very end of this passage, so they kept the matter to themselves, questioning mm-hmm. what rising from the dead meant. Yeah, you know, it's a, so. What were, what were they speculating on? What did they... What do we... Yeah, uh, well, and then uh, the question, the catechism uh, goes into that a little bit about <clears throat> in the next passages, we, what, what does it mean, rising from the dead? What, what will happen to us? We all wonder what exactly happens at that moment of death uh, and, and beyond. So uh, paragraph 459 in the Catechism says, The Word became flesh to be our model of holiness. He said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. On the mountain of the Transfiguration, the Father commands, Listen to him. Jesus is the model for the Beatitudes, and the norm of the new new law. Love one another as I have loved you. This love implies an effective offering of oneself after Jesus' example. Mm-hmm. So paragraph 649 says, As for the Son, he effects his own resurrection by virtue of his divine power. Jesus announces that the Son of Man will have much to suffer, die, and then rise. Elsewhere, he affirmed explicitly, I lay down my life that I may take it again. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. So, of course, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And I think often we hear, and even in Scripture, that uh, he was raised again by the Father or, or by the Holy Spirit. Um, but 
since they're all one of one, and Jesus was God, he he uh, he is correct in saying, you know, I have the power to lay it down, and mm-hmm. I have the power to take it back up again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's thought that the Father, it's thought that the Father, the Spirit, and the Son all participate in the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, right, right. Um, and here to the question uh, that you brought up a few minutes ago: How do the dead rise? Well, paragraph nine nine seven in the Catechism says: What is rising in death? The separation of the soul from the body. The human body decays, and the soul goes to meet God while awaiting its reunion with its glorified body. God in his almighty power will definitively grant incorruptible life to our bodies by reuniting them with our souls through the power of Jesus' resurrection. Paragraph 998 says, Who will rise? All the dead will rise, they say, the Catechism says. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Despite whether <laughs> Pope Francis wants to see an empty hell. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think he's going to see that. Um, the paragraph uh, 999 says, How will we rise? Well, Christ is raised with his own body, the Catechism says. Uh, See my hands and my feet, he said to the apostles, that it is, I myself. But he did not return to earthly life. So in him all will rise again with their own bodies, which they now bear. But Christ will change our lowly body to be like his glorious body, and into a spiritual body. I can't wait yeah. <laughs> for the glorious body. Yes. But that's interesting, it, this addition, into a spiritual body. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean? Does that uh, mean that we don't ha- Well, he had all his human features. Yeah, you know, Saint, with his glorified body. St. Paul gives us uh, probably as full an explanation of spiritual body as we find on the pages of the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, where he's actually arguing with the Corinthians. I don't have the passage open in front of me, but he's he's uh, he's saying that our mortal bodies will go into the earth <clears throat> and they will reemerge as spiritual bodies. They're not just going to be resuscitations of the uh, the mortal body. They're going to be bodies of a different characteristic, different quality. Um, and so this will be, and I've always understood the spiritual body and the glorious body to be one and the same. So right, the right. I, and it's it's that which it is, is received yeah. after um, mm-hmm. re- resurrection. So yeah, I think they again can go through walls. Yeah. Well, Saint Peter or Saint Paul says in this passage uh, I have in front of me. He said, "But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? Yes. With what kind of body do they come?" 
and and St. Paul answers, you foolish man, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and what you sow is not the body which is to be, but a bare kernel. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. The dead will be raised imperishable. For this perishable nature must put on the imperishable, and this mortal nature must put on immortality. Yes, yeah. So that that's from his first letter to the Corinthians. Yeah, that's it's uh, chapter fifteen, and this yeah. is again the where I think we get the most thorough exposition of what the mm-hmm. immortal body yeah. or the the spiritual body is, the glorious body, the imperishable body. Yeah, uh, and a bear. I like the way he phrased that. Uh, what what goes going into the ground? What we're uh, nurturing so much today with consumerism yes. is a bare kernel of yeah. what will emerge out of right. after uh, our, our resurrection. But then, you know, we have um, uh, some wonderful quotes from our friend <laughs> Monsignor Charles Pope, um, the priest from uh, Washington, D.C., who who regularly writes a column on the gospel. But he has such a way of, of uh, adding a perceptive insights, you know, that relate us and our everyday lives to the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, he says um, he says that the second Sunday of Advent or Lent, excuse me, which is coming up, always features the Transfiguration, and he says this is because we're following the Lord on his final odyssey to Jerusalem. And this journey up Mount Tabor was one of his stops with Peter, James, and John. So what the Lord is trying to show the apostles and us is that the end, what the end shall be. Monsignor says there is a cross to get through, but there is glory on the other side. Um, I'm quoting him now directly. He says, the purpose in placing the account of the transfiguration here is that it helps describe the pattern of the Christian life, which is the Paschal mystery. We are always dying and rising with Christ in repeated cycles as we journey to an eternal Easter. This gospel shows forth the pattern of the cross, the climb, the rising, and the glory of the mountaintop. Then it is back down the mountain again, only to climb another another one, which he likens to Golgotha, and through it find another glory. And he says when we focus on the tale of the transfiguration, he says that um, Peter James, we, we don't focus on the fact that Peter, James, and John had to climb a mountain to witness the transfiguration. No easy task, he says. Mount Tabor's altitude is almost 2,000 feet, taking perhaps a half day and perhaps some danger to ascend. Mm. You know, we don't think about that. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, I mean, I've thought about them climbing the mountain, but I didn't really think about how uh, steep it might have been and how long it would have taken. Um, he, the Monsignor says, this climb reminds us of life 
often we have had to climb, to endure, to have our strength tested. What of real value do we have that did not come at the price of a climb, of effort and struggle? Life's difficulties are often the prelude to success and greater strength. We wish that life had no struggles, but it would seem the Lord intends them for us, for the cross alone leads to true glory. God uses problems to perfect us. If we respond to them, they are character builders. So we should rejoice over problems and trials because they help us build patience, and patience builds character. It also strengthens trust in God each time we use it. This is, the Monsignor concludes, the pattern of our lives. We die with Christ so as to live with him each time we come back around to the cross or back around to glory, we are one round higher and one level closer to final glory. You know, this is, this, I think, I think it would be, I wonder, I just wonder how many of us actually embody that kind of thinking, the pattern of our lives. I wonder yeah. how many of us even think of our lives as having any pattern. Um, Good question. You know, and I, yeah. I think this is this is something to keep to think about because we really are, ponder, right? Yeah. Uh, well, wouldn't you say, for instance, you had a great cross with your leg? Yeah. And you must have benefited greatly, uh, even though the, through great suffering. Yeah, well, I, I don't, but I can't, I would say, as much as I would like to, I don't think I could present evidence that um, the suffering that I went through has necessarily had any, uh, led to any great achievement of virtue, let me put it that way. It's still unclear to me um, all that the Lord was trying to achieve through this experience. I mean, uh i don't doubt that i've had i've made changes in my life as a result of this i i'm i'm much more patient much more tolerant um well there you go yeah yeah i, I <laughs> mean those are go. things those are things right there and yet yeah and yet i would still say that was, that's a, that's a big price to pay for those two <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but no, but see, he talked about patience, and he said, uh, uh, he says in, the, in this uh, treatise that that uh, patience, getting patience, uh, is is very much character building. Yes. Even though you may not see right yourself as being built in character, I see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see a lot of good character in you, Al, and I wonder. <laughs> I did wonder, you know, I, I, I myself have, it, through falls and mishaps, have, feel I've learned a lot. If yes. I haven't achieved a lot, I've learned a lot. And uh, this will be something we can talk over more clearly uh, in the future. Thanks, Peggy. Yes, indeed. Okay.